Let's open God's word to the book of Isaiah. And we'll read the entire first chapter as we conclude that series of sermons on this introductory chapter to the whole book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more, ye who will revolt more and more? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams, the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. and Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with a sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How is the faithful city become a harlot? It is full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. And I will restore thy judges at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks which they have desired, and they shall be confounded for the gardens that they have chosen. For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden that hath no water. And the strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them. Our text this evening is verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again this evening. In this third sermon on chapter 1, which is an introductory chapter to the whole book of Isaiah, we see some rather surprising contrast in that chapter, don't we? Isaiah utters forth the thunder of God's wrath and indignation and impending judgment. It almost seems like there's no true Israel left at all, that God has rejected her. When God's judgment comes to pass, then the expression, God's anger against his sinful people, Surely, doesn't that mean he has rejected them? But then, without any kind of transitions, apparently the same people, the prophet sings, the sweetest melodies of God's mercy and God's redemption. Listen just a moment to some of the names that he calls Zion, a sinful nation a people laden with iniquity, 
a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They've gone away backward. They're called Sodom and Gomorrah, a harlot full of murderers. Her princes are rebellious, companions of thieves, thoroughly corrupt, the object of God's wrath and deserving of judgment. But then, now listen again how God's word comes so soothingly in verses 25 through 27. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away thy tin and I will restore thy judges at the first and thy counselors at the beginning after thou Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts redeemed with righteousness. This thought, how can Isaiah from the same mouth speak such words of condemnation, judgment, and then also words of restoration and redemption. And that's going to be important that we understand how we can do that if we're going to understand the whole prophecy because the whole prophecy continues in that same theme. Our text then is a key really to the whole prophecy, the theme of the prophet's entire message. That is, whether it be the Old Testament church or whether it be still the church today, we need to ask, what is the relationship between redemption and judgment? There's a relationship. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment. Second of all, we have to look at verse 27 and notice the Hebrew parallelism. What we mean, boys and girls, with that parallelism is that when you have a verse in the Bible, the second stanza of that verse repeats the thought of the first one and enlarges on it. So it's really saying the same thing with different words. So you have Zion who is the same as the converts. And you have judgment, which is the same as righteousness. What does it mean? How does judgment and righteousness coincide? And then thirdly, we have to keep in mind that this prophecy of Isaiah was given by God, spoken by Isaiah in order to warn God's people on the one hand and on the second hand to give them comfort. Warn them about their sins. Those sins are going to send them off to another land, to Babylon. But after 70 years, God will call them back. The converts will be redeemed with righteousness. So my theme is, Zion shall be redeemed through judgment. Zion redeemed through judgment. Who is redeemed? Second of all, what does it mean to be redeemed? And then thirdly, how she is going to be redeemed. Who, what, and how. 
Who is redeemed? Boys and girls, if you look at the text written on top of the, uh, the outline, Zion. Zion shall be redeemed. That word Zion can be understood in three different ways. Number one, it can be understood historically and geographically. That is, there was a hill called Mount Zion, which is one of the several hills that Jerusalem was built on. And it was also known then as the Temple Mount because the temple was placed on Mount Moriah, which was very close to the hill called Zion. So, first of all, it could be understood historically and geographically Jerusalem there. Second of all, Zion can be understood then as the whole city of Jerusalem. They were called Zion. Let us go up to Zion. But it can also be understood of the inhabitants of Zion. So the people. The people that lived there. The people wherein God was in their midst. And so it's a covenant name for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thirdly, the Old Testament and the New Testament equate the words Zion and church interchangeably. So Zion is the church of God in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was Israel and Judah, the 12 tribes that were the church of God. But that church in the Old Testament is a type of the church in the New Testament. So really it is the entire church of God, the whole organism of God's church is named Zion. God's chosen people where God dwells with his people. So Zion is a covenant name for the church. Isn't that beautiful? Zion. God dwells within her, his church just as God's presence was there in Jerusalem when the cloud of glory descended upon, first of all, the tabernacle and later on, the temple. Now, in Zion, within Israel, there was always a twofold seed always there was the wheat and the chaff around it there is the grain the kernel but also the shell there is the seed of the woman but there's also the seed of the serpent in the church there are the elect but there are also the reprobate in the church there is the outward believer and the true spiritual Israel. And although all those that belong to the church are called Zion, it is only the true, it is only the spiritual Israel that is properly called by that name. And that is, as we read in verse 9, the remnant according to God's election of grace. Verse 2 through 7, what terrible things are said. 
And yet, there's a compassion, isn't it? Hear, O heavens, hear, O earth, the Lord has spoken, I've nourished and brought up children, but they've rebelled against me. Yes, Zion is ripe for judgment. But in that wicked nation, there is that remnant that we read of in verses 8 and 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We would have been as Sodom, and we would have been as Gomorrah. And now in verse 27, Zion. That is the true spiritual Israel of God shall be redeemed with judgment. Now we have to take that Hebrew parallelism also. So how does the second phrase in our text back up? How is it connected to the first phrase? Well, the Zion that is going to be redeemed is the same as the converts, or literally, those who return. After the Lord chastises his people, the those who by God's grace through faith return to him. They are the returning ones. So who is this? Zion is the true spiritual Israel. It is the elect of God, the ones who return to him in faith and love and in obedience. You see here, Isaiah is still looking ahead. He's about 100, 150 years before the captivity in Babylon. He sees because of their sins that Israel is going to go into that captivity But then he is, with his vision, also carried beyond that captivity 70 years later when there are those who return. And the boys and girls, you remember from catechism that there was a remnant of only 49,000 that came back. 49,000 that cared for that land of promise, which is a picture of heaven. Only 49,000 came back to rebuild that temple, which is a type of Jesus Christ, who is God's temple, of which we are members. There is the hope. There will be judgment because of the sin and the pride of the church, the Old Testament church. God is going to give her into captivity. But in his grace, there's a remnant that comes back. So now to sum up, who is the one that is redeemed? Well, it is in its broadest sense then the church of God in its entirety, the church of God in its entirety in the old dispensation and in the new dispensation but it is seen here from its invisible character. You young people remember that term, don't you, about the church, the invisible church, that is the true church. You can't see all those members. While you can see the visible church, and it's got both kind of members in it, there is, by God's grace, the invisible church, the true Israel who love the Lord and are loved by God. 
the spiritual children of Israel, according to God's sovereign, gracious election. He chose them, he gave them to Jesus Christ, and he redeems them. That brings me to the second point. Zion shall be redeemed. What is that redemption in our text? The word redemption has the idea of being saved, of being delivered. Israel is going to go down into captivity, but The true spiritual Israel is going to be saved to be delivered. What a beautiful word there. It means much more than simply being saved or simply being delivered. It has the idea of not only being taken from something, but brought unto something. Delivered not only out of captivity, but brought back again into a good relationship with their God in Christ Jesus. So that term has not only the negative idea of salvation, but saved unto what? A small remnant that enjoys God's grace and mercy and salvation. Notice... Zion needs to be redeemed. And that redemption from the Bible always has the idea of a ransom. Now, boys and girls, what's a ransom? Ransom is a price that is paid to set a person free. It's a large price that has to be paid. What it means there, when Israel will be redeemed, it means that she is in the power of the foreign dominion. And she is under that power, legally and justly, that is, God gave her up to Babylon in his judgment because of her sins. And now a price has to be paid in order to liberate her from that kind of power from that dominion and that applies then to Zion in the old dispensation but his vision Isaiah's vision Jerusalem is completely destroyed the captives are taken away in the power of Babylon And in and through his prophecy, Isaiah speaks the truth by way of prediction and warning. That's the purpose of this vision that he has. Because of their sin and their rebellion, God is going to send them away to Babylon. Why is she in captivity? Her sin. She has to be delivered the redemption. A price has to be paid. She has to be purchased back again out of that captivity. And it's that price, that ransom that is being announced here in our text. 
Isaiah sees Zion's sin and captivity, but also her redemption. And so this is a message of comfort. God isn't going to leave his people there. There's going to be a small remnant that he takes back. There's glad hope for the true spiritual Israel for Zion. God will redeem her. And he will show his own glory by redeeming her from Babylon. He is the mighty and he's the faithful God. And now what was true of Zion historically in the Old Testament is also true spiritually, isn't it? As Zion is a picture of the church of all ages, the elect children of God... Babylon is a type of the world. It is a type of bondage to sin. It's the power of evil, rebellion, all that is opposed to God. That's Babylon. And Zion, which is the cause of the seed of the woman, she's going to live there in Babylon, which is the seed of the serpent. Why? You ask, why is the church, God's people, here in this wicked world yet? Why is the church often under the power of the world, one with the world, a world that is governed by sin and death? The inhabitants of this world are enemies of God's church. Little Zion lies in the midst of the world's evil and death because you and I also are guilty, aren't we, before God? Justly we are underneath that condemnation that came to Adam and Eve, children of wrath, rightful objects of God's anger, and therefore the necessity of the, of the Christ's cross. Necessity. We need to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed from ourselves, from the sin that was within us. We need to be redeemed from the sinful world that we live in. We need to be redeemed from the power of Satan that has held us in check with chains for so long of our life. And that redemption comes only by a price that is paid. That is the idea of ransom. That is the idea of redemption. And that's important to Christianity because it points to the necessity of Christ's cross. So there's a twofold question Who is going to pay that ransom, number one? And to whom is that ransom paid? Who is going to pay that ransom? There are many in Christianity today that mock the whole idea of a ransom being paid or deliverance needed. They would say, man saves himself. Jesus was a just, a wonderful example, and now we have to try to be like Jesus. Save yourself by your own act of your will. Earn your salvation by doing enough good works. 
much of modern Christianity loathes the idea of a blood theology, a price that is paid a ransom. Boys and girls, maybe in Sunday school you learned that song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or a song that many of us have heard, maybe on the radio, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. Let me tell you, there is much of Christianity that doesn't want to talk about blood, and it doesn't want to talk about our being wretches. Rather, they want to talk about what man can do, what we can do by our own will, exerting ourselves. Jesus offers, they say, to save everyone, if only you, if only you are willing to let him. That means one is not saved except by oneself and what one does. The true answer of spiritual children of God confesses our own inability to save ourselves. Unable. We read in Job 36, verses 18 and 19. Because there is wrath, Beware that he take away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver. Will he esteem thy riches? No. Gold nor all the forces of strength mean nothing. Psalm 49, verse 6 through 8. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches... None of them can by any, by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. And the answer is not us, but it's God. Psalm 49, verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For he shall receive me. So saving us from death and its grip and judgment, bringing us received by Christ Jesus. So notice, the redemption that is spoken of in our text demands a ransom, and God pays that ransom in God alone. That's the answer to that first question I brought. Ransom paid by whom? By God alone. Later on in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 3, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, God says, and Ethiopia for thee. The book of Hosea, chapter 13, verse 14, God says, I will redeem them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Go to the New Testament, Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Or finally, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, 
the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He gave himself a ransom for all. It means they're not every person, but he wants to save everyone, but for all kinds of people from all different classes of society. He gave himself a ransom. So, the ransom is not paid by man himself. He has nothing to pay. That'd be ex like expecting the, the slaves in the south to somehow ransom them, themselves. How would they? What money would they have? They had to work completely for the landowner. Someone else had to pay a ransom. And beloved, that is true of you and me. We have nothing ourselves. Our, our pockets are empty. We have no good works of our own. Our will was subject to sin. Ransoms paid by God himself in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. And now the other question. The ransom price paid to whom? Does that ransom get paid to the devil who has a hand in their lives, who is their master? Is the ransom paid to the enemies that were holding Israel captive? Is the, bond, is the ransom paid to those who hold the people in bondage? And the answer is no. No. The price has to be paid to God himself and his justice. For it was God himself who subjected humanity to captivity, didn't he? Because of their sin, he said, thou wilt surely die. God subjected them to that captivity over and over in the history of the church because of their sin and their rebellion. God is a righteous God who will not tolerate sin. So righteous that he paid the penalty for our sins. He paid it by his own son, our Savior. God paid the penalty. God gave the obedience, the righteousness necessary himself. So the true child of God, confessing his own inability to save himself, walks here on earth only in the blood-washed garments of redemption. Therefore, redeemed by Christ Jesus, we have that right to life, now already and in the life to come a life in Christ who loved us and saved us by paying the ransom price of his own blood. That's the only price of ransom that is acceptable to God. So do you notice in our text, Zion must be redeemed. It's necessary. But I want you also to show in our text the certainty of that redemption. For we read, don't we, Zion shall be redeemed. There's the comfort. There's the joy. Zion 
shall be redeemed. God says that. It's certain. The returning ones, the second part of that text. The returning ones, those who return to him in faith and obedience. Are redeemed with righteousness, the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Doesn't that fact seem to contradict the work of God? Doesn't it seem almost impossible for the historic church of the Old Testament, Zion, that they could be redeemed? For God's word of wrath and condemnation was upon Judah because of their sins. From the sole of their foot all the way to the head, they are full of sores, full of corruption, sin. The Lord will visit Zion in his wrath. They're going to be given into the power of Babylon 70 years. And just as impossible as it might have seen that somehow Zion would be redeemed from that captivity, That is also true spiritually. You and I who are filled with sins and rebellion from the sole of the foot all the way to the head with terrible sores. That guilt, who's going to pay the price to liberate us, to take away that punishment before the face of God? Because our corruption seems to have a total grip upon us, doesn't it? Who will deliver us from that world of sin, from temptation, from the devil and his host who are always scheming against his church? Doesn't your, doesn't my redemption almost seem impossible to us? Could God love us so much that he will redeem us. God's word here. Zion shall be redeemed. So appearances don't matter whether we are corrupt from our soul of our foot all the way to the head where these putrefying sores. All of our sins don't matter. Our guilt doesn't matter. The power of corruption in us doesn't matter. The world, the devil's opposition, that doesn't matter. The word of God is Zion shall be redeemed. In other words, nothing, nothing can frustrate or thwart God's eternal counsel. God determined that there would be this remnant that he had given to Christ Jesus that would be redeemed in Christ Jesus. Yes, a very small remnant that will return. And what we need to notice then on the second point about our redemption is it is sure, it is certain, because it does not lie in the will of mankind Because if it was in the will of mankind, which is very fickle, we would all perish. But the certainty of our redemption lies in the sovereign and eternal will of God. He 
chose for himself a people in Christ Jesus and have given them to Christ Jesus. So, finishing up the second point, the eternal, the immutable, the sovereign, the covenant God of Zion loves her before the foundation of the world. He chose her to him according to his election of grace. He loves her. He wills her salvation. She shall be redeemed. And all the glory goes to God who does it. He will redeem Zion. We read in Isaiah 59, toward the end of the prophecy, verse 20, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. God is that Redeemer. That brings me to my third point, how? Is Zion redeemed? And look carefully at the passage because it follows right with it. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment. Her converts, those who return to him, will be, be, will be redeemed with righteousness. So the way of redemption is through judgment and righteousness. Again, that Hebrew parallelism, they are one and the same. God is just in all that he does. God is righteous in all that he does. God determines what is righteous, what is right, and what is wrong. He is the eternally perfect God. God judges. God always evaluates. God always measures. God always decides everything according to his own righteousness. That's the standard. It's not what you and I think is right or what is good. Do you remember Israel during the period of the judges? We read of that terrible time, everyone did what was right in their own sight. The standard is God and his righteousness. That's the measuring rod against which everyone is put. We said a price has to be paid for that. Not a price, we said, paid to the devil. Not a price paid to the sinful world that has us in its grips at times. But paid to God because he determines what will satisfy his justice. And there's two things that are necessary. Remember that about our redemption. Number one, we have to pay the price of our guilt. Sin must be punished. God said to Adam and Eve and in them to the whole human race, thou shalt not eat of that tree of the garden, of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou wilt surely die. Redemption means someone has to take that penalty of sin. That's the first half. But we don't go to heaven just because the penalty's been taken away. 
God demands in order to walk with his people, to communicate with his people, that they are righteous, perfectly righteous, as he's righteous. So the person that is redeemed, that is the person who's going to have fellowship with God, has to have the punishment of sin taken away, but also the perfect righteousness given to him, accounted to him, imputed to him. And that is only, beloved, in Jesus Christ. No one can ever say that God sacrifices his righteousness in order to show love and mercy to us. There are those kind of theologies that are presented and kind of witnessing things. They say, well, God wants to love you all, but God has a problem. <laughs> he's, he's, sin, he's righteous and sin has to be punished. What's he going to do? We said... We believe in the simplicity of God, that all the attributes of God in God are one. They're not contradictory. So, sin and the sinner must be punished, and obedience, perfect obedience, has to be brought forth. And that's only in Jesus Christ, isn't it? How beautifully our communion form puts it, which we just read last week. Our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world. He assumed our flesh and our blood. He bore for us the wrath of God from the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth. He hath fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law and righteousness. How? He was bound that we might be freed of our sins. He suffered that we might never be confounded. He was innocently condemned to death that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He suffered himself to be nailed to the cross, taking on himself the curse due to us that we might be filled with his blessing. He humbled himself to death that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken. So there is this twofold implication, isn't it, of judgment. It condemns those who are walking in sin. It saves those who are in Christ Jesus. So our text Zion shall be redeemed through, that is, by means of judgment. Do you catch it? You and I are redeemed because God's judgment came upon Jesus Christ on the cross. He redeems us so that God's perfect judgment was paid for by Christ Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness was put on us, clothed on us. That's why we can read in the Scripture at different times, God sees no iniquity in Israel. And you and I think, what? Think of those rascals during the wilderness, rebelling and murmuring and complaining and... ah. But he saw them in Christ Jesus. 
the blood of the sacrifices that was repeated over and over, looking forward to the blood of Christ that would be shed to wash away all of our sins. God, through Christ Jesus, saves all that have that righteousness of Christ given to them as their own, while God condemns all those who reject Christ and his righteousness. Redeemed through judgment. Principally in Christ Jesus, but I want you to see it, that theme from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. Adam and Eve made perfect, having fellowship with God. They rebelled. They sinned. But they were redeemed because God took the friendship that they made with the devil and he turned it into an enmity. God condemned Satan and all of his seed. So Adam and Eve are clothed with those garments that came by the shedding of blood. Enoch walked and he talked with God in the midst of a very crooked world. And the world would want to lay their hands on him, and God took him up to heaven. Noah and his family were saved by the flood. Oh, they hated the testimony of Noah and his family. They laughed and they ridiculed him. But they were saved by God's judgment on the world. The world was drowned, cleansed, and Noah and his family were saved. Redeemed through judgment. God saved Israel from Egypt. Boys and girls, you remember how God saved his people from Egypt, right? By judging wicked Egypt, Pharaoh and his host with those terrible plagues. And then he drowned Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Redeemed through judgment. Israel, living in the land of Canaan, again and again and again would walk in rebellion and sin. And how did God save them? He would bring judgment upon them with the nations around the Philistines, the Amorites, the Moabites. And in the way of the sorrow and suffering, they confessed their sins, they returned, and they were saved. Babylon. The world, the church today, is saved how? By God's judgment upon the world. So as it was in Egypt, as it was with the Philippians, uh, the, the, with the Philistines, as it was with Babylon, there is the outward Zion that is kind of finally removed during that judgments. And the saved are those who by God's grace Love the Lord, love his salvation and his righteousness. And that brings us then, doesn't it, to the end of history. Israel, the true church, Zion, will be redeemed through judgment. We're not afraid of the judgment day, we look forward to it. In this life, here in this world, always we are oppressed by a world that hates Christ, hates his people, the end of the world 
God will judge that world and its wickedness and they will be cast into hell. We are delivered, we are redeemed so that we with Christ Jesus in heaven enjoy constant fellowship with God. No more sins, no more temptations. God's saints taken to him in the new heavens and the new earth. Through Jesus Christ, God has judged all of our sins on his son Jesus Christ. On the reprobate, his judgment will be manifested. They're going to feel it. But thank God, in Christ Jesus, he took it so that we might receive blessings. So you ask the question, well, what about our sins? Will our sins be judged by God in his wrath? It was. Notice I said, it was. Indeed. As Jesus Christ came and stood in our place, as he was judged by the world's judge, and put on the cross. The billows and the billows and the billows of God's wrath passed over him. Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The redemption of Zion is the destruction of the world, and the condemnation of the world is the redemption of God's people. So that brings me then back to the first statement that we made in my, that I made in my introduction. How can these contradictory statements be here in Isaiah as we found in chapter 1? Words of condemnation and wrath and destruction, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the righteous city will be redeemed. And the answer is this, because God's word comes to the church organically with its twofold seed. It warns those who are walking willingly in rebellion and sin, turn, or you will face God's wrath. But it comes with wonderful comfort to those who return in faith and love and obedience. God's mercy and love and redemption is full and free. Why is Zion redeemed? Why is she saved? Not in ourselves, not in our own will, not in our own works. They all go down to destruction. Never can any of us pay for our own ransom price. But instead, we we rely upon our covenant God, Jehovah, the God of our salvation, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. By his grace, we see our sins and we hate our sins. We flee from our sins. We flee to Christ Jesus. We cling to him in faith and hope and love. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee that Zion is redeemed. Redeemed by thy righteousness. The righteousness of Christ Jesus given to us. And we look forward to that final day when there will be no more sin or temptation, 
no more enemies or oppressors. But we will dwell with thee, enjoy perfect fellowship with thee in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we pray, come, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.